Let's talk about believing. Steve Perry instructed us, don't stop believing. I thought I nailed that last week if you were here. Just crushed it. Probably should have been contacted immediately by the band and offered the position of lead singer. Anyway, uh, but we're talking about believing because uh, that's what Jesus is talking about here in, in John chapter 5. He's, he's healed a, a guy who had been lame since birth. He's walking around now. People are wondering what's going on. But the crazy thing is that they're more concerned about the fact that this guy started walking for the first time on the Sabbath than they are with him actually walking. Doesn't that describe humans? We're funky, us human beings. We'll find the, the hole in any donut, right? And so uh, Jesus is confronted by these people who, in verse 18, it tells us, want to kill him. That's how angry they are about him healing this guy. Uh, but Jesus doubles down. He doesn't shy away from his acts. He doesn't run away from his claims. He, he, he goes forward, and what he says, he, he helps us understand that belief shapes life. Remember that? We said that last week. What you believe is going to shape your life. already is. And, and so Jesus, as he comes on the scene here in the book of John, is, is helping reorder the beliefs of those who are listening to him, if, if they'll listen and, and choose to believe what he says. If you were here last week, he gave three basic things about himself that he, he wanted to help these people understand so that they could believe. The first thing, it was the most incredible thing, hard to believe thing that these people had to hear. He basically said, the Father and I are one. I am the Son of Man, he calls himself, which is from Daniel. It's a, a very obvious messianic reference. He says, I, basically, I am God. That's the first thing that he says, I'm God. The second thing that he says, if you want to go back and read through it, is that I have the power to give life. Remember we talked about that? He just exhibited that. I gave dead legs life. The lame guy can walk. I have the power to give life. But he wasn't talking about just legs. He was talking about physical life, regeneration, resurrection. He was talking about spiritual life. He says, I have the power because I am God. The Father and I are one. I have the power to give life. That's what he ended up doing is he went to the cross and died so that we might live through our faith in him. I have the power to give life. And then the third thing he said in his uh, little run there in, in John chapter 5 is this, that I have the authority to judge. All authority has been given me, and I will be the judge of all of creation. Certainly at the end of time, Jesus will sit on his throne and he will judge the souls of all mankind. He will bring a judgment to this earth that has been marred by sin. He's the judge. He makes these claims from verses 19 to 31 of John chapter 5. And we, we kind of left with these implications last week, remember? If Jesus is God, then we should share him. If Jesus is God, and, and, and it's true that he is, then one of our life's aims should be to talk about this incredible news that has been revealed to us. And talk more about that today. Jesus is God, let's share him. Jesus gives life. If Jesus is the life giver and gives life, then, then we should trust him. Darnisha was talking about that as he sh she shared her heart this morning. When things go wrong, we don't go away from Jesus. We run to him and in faith believe in him for what we cannot handle ourselves. Finally, if Jesus is the judge of life, then it is on us to obey him. He's our authority. 
He is the one that we answer to. And listen, we don't just obey him so that he doesn't like smack us or, or punish us. We obey him because he is worthy as our God of our obedience. That was last week. And if the conversation ended there, we'd start with something different. But we're still in the same red letter conversation. That's what the Bible does with Jesus' words. They paint them red. And Jesus is still talking, but he kind of shifts from these, these three grand claims. It's almost like he's, you ever been in this conversation with someone where you're just dispelling the truth and they're not believing you? Anybody ever had, maybe you had that this morning. Honey, for real, I'm serious. This is the truth. And, and, and your spouse or your son or your daughter or your mom or your dad is just like, yeah, whatever. You ever been in one of those situations where it's like visceral? It's like, like they're angry at you for saying what you're saying? That's what's happening with Jesus. He's, he's popping off with all these incredible uh, and you know, amazing truths, and people are listening to him, and they're not buying it. In fact, they're getting angrier and angrier and angrier. He's picking this up. You've been in that conversation? You can kind of sense body language. Things are not going well. And so Jesus shifts tact, tactics. He, he kind of goes in a different direction. And he says, listen, here's why you can believe what I'm saying is true. He actually uh, basically mounts a defense. Like if he was on trial in a court, this is essentially what he would be doing. He would be bringing forth physical evidence. He's going to talk about his works as being proof uh, that what he is saying is true. And so that's his physical evidence. He's going he's to reference a couple witnesses, one who is still living. We know him as John the Baptist. He's going to reference a, a witness who has long gone to the grave. His name is Moses. But he's going to say, hey, here's the guys who will back me up. In fact, if, if you're reading the whole book, and he's referring to the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures that these Jews uh, were steeped in, he says, if you'd really paid attention, you would have seen me in the pages of everything that you read there. Here's my defense for the things that I'm saying and their truth, their veracity. So we're going to kind of walk with Jesus through his defense to this crowd, but we're going to learn from Jesus, as we always do, some lessons for us today. We're going to learn that uh, God sends us his witnesses. He, sent, he sends us to be his witnesses, but he sends to us men and women, even kids, who basically speak his truth and affirm what he is and who he is to us. If we're paying attention to them, it'll further us in our faith. He does things around us. His works happen. Many of the miraculous, some of you have seen the miraculous and it has bolstered your faith. He's going to talk about not just his witnesses and his works, but he's going to reference his word and we have been given. Does everybody understand the amazing grace, the blessing that God's word is to us. Like he's not hiding who he is. He wrote it down. He gave us the story. And if we study it and we pay attention to it and we heed it and believe it, it changes. It shapes our lives. It changes how we live. So today, I don't know how you are in your faith. But if you can remember his witnesses and pay attention to them. If you can recognize his works and be encouraged by them. If you can be a student of his word and go deep into the revelation that he provides for us there, then your faith will grow. And that's what we're about, right? We're disciples. We want to grow in our faith personally. 
And then we want to make disciples. We want to see other people grow in theirs. His witnesses, his works, and his word. You ready? Three things then. Believe the words of his witnesses. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 31. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, Jesus saying whatever Jesus says is going to be true, but he understands that in this culture, the Jewish culture, one witness was not enough. You can't just say, you know, this is what's real, this is what's true. You had to have someone back you up. It was actually a matter of Levitical law in Deuteronomy. Uh, chapter 19, verse 15, it says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Uh, only on the evidence of how many? Or shall a charge be established? Got to have witnesses. If you're going to bring an offense to court and try someone for it, you have to have people who will say, yep, that's how this went down. So Jesus says, I get that. And I understand that you don't believe me, but listen, I'm not the only one saying this. Look at it says in John 5, 32. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Specifically, you sent to this guy, John, not the writer of the gospel, but John the Baptist, who we've gotten to know through the first four chapters of this book. John, the gospel writer, tells us in John chapter 1 that John the Baptist was out there baptizing in the woods, and they came to him and said, are you the Messiah? And John the Baptist said, no, I'm just getting people ready for him. In John chapter 3, his own followers come to him and ask, have questions about Jesus. This, this other dude is baptizing on a different side of the river than us. What's up with him? And John gives testimony, bears testimony, is a witness to who Jesus is. In, a, in another uh, gospel, uh, in Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, it tells us the story of Jesus' baptism. And how John was there, and that's when his eyes were opened. My cousin is the Messiah. What's up? And John has been broadcasting this, and will continue to broadcast this, spoiler alert, until he is put to death for broadcasting this. He says, verse 33, you sent John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that, tes not that the testimony that I receive is from man. This is really interesting. Jesus kind of qualifies what he's saying even as he's saying it. You ever done that? What I mean is, anybody ever had to explain themselves while you're explaining yourself? Yeah, because words fail. People could go in lots of different directions with them. Don't believe it? See the internet. Anyway, all right. Uh, but Jesus is, is picturing that these guys are, you know, thinking, well, just because John says so and I say so doesn't mean, he says, listen, I'm, I'm not just basing who I am on, on the words of men. In fact, I, I want to assure you, I'm not just some scoundrel who has taken advantage of what he saw on Twitter that John the Baptist was tweeting, and I'm just posing as this person that John is predicting so I can benefit. Lots of people have done that, by the way. Uh, lots of people were doing it at the time that Jesus arrived. Lots of people were claiming to be the Messiah. They weren't. And so Jesus is basically separating himself, creating distance from those people, saying, I'm not a charlatan. I'm not a fake. I'm not just saying because John's... I'm not taking advantage of John's message. My buddy Tom is a pastor here. And uh, when he was in college, uh, he worked for Domino's as the Noid. Does anybody remember the Noid? He would dress up in the Noid costume and basically try to, you know, flag people, you know, down to 
get them to buy Domino's pizza. I love that about Tom because he's like 6'4". There's no way he fits in the Noid costume. But, uh, but beyond that, he was a delivery guy for Domino's pizza. He would deliver to a Christian college in Wheaton, Illinois called Wheaton College. And those crazy Christian kids were liars because Tom would come to the, to the, uh, to the basically the, you know, the first floor of the dorm and he'd say pizza and say for, you know, pizza for Saunders. And some lying kid would get up, I'm Saunders, walk up, pay for the pizza, but just take whatever pizza was. He had saved himself the trouble of actually ordering and waiting. He would just go and steal the pizza, pay for it, and take it to his dorm room. Well, of course, the actual pizza orderer would call Domino's and be like, hey, where's my pizza? And the boss would call Tom, and Tom would be like, I delivered the pizza. But who did he deliver it to? Faker. Liar. Some of you are like, I'm doing that this weekend. Anyway, all right. <laughs> Don't. It's sin. <laughs> but that's what Jesus is trying to clarify here. I'm not a liar. I'm not doing this uh, uh, you know, be, just because someone said this is true so I can take advantage of you. He says, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things on a larger scale so that you might be saved. I want you to believe in me. I'm the only means by which you can be saved. That's John three sixteen, right? Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but be, say it with me, saved. Yeah. He goes back to talking about John. He, John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now, he was a witness to who I am. Jesus verifies his claim based on the testimony of John the Baptist. That John was the last prophet uh, uh, to come to the earth before Jesus hit the, you know, hit, the, hit the scene. There's lots of prophets in the Old Testament, but I think I preached this in one of the first messages in this series. John was the last prophet. Now John was a witness as a prophet, and, and he has kind of joined this lineage, this long line of those who are called to be witnesses. In fact, if you go to the book of Acts, Jesus is about to leave after his crucifixion. Remember what he said there? Uh, and you will be my, want to guess? Witnesses, right? In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. All y'all, it's an all y'all call. Everybody who follows me, guess what? You're my witnesses. And this is how God has moved his message forward throughout 2,000 years of history. He's used us who have already believed in him to be witnesses to those who have yet to come. So we need to listen. This is, this is the whole thing. When it comes to witnesses, if they're sent by God, we need to listen to them. Now, I said that if they're sent by God because there's lots of them out there who are just witnessing for themselves. For their own gain. Remember, I've, I've told you all along, don't ever follow me. Like, like, do follow me. This is kind of that. Do follow me, but don't follow me so much that if I ever get into error, you follow me into error, and you forget to stick with what the truth is about Jesus. Are you with me? Men fail. Women fail. Sorry, ladies, you too. Humans fail. But God has chosen in his wisdom to use us humans to share his good news with other people. So when he is using someone to be a witness in your life, listen to that person. I'm standing on this stage because my mother, one of God's witnesses, wrote me a letter when I was a senior in high school. I've told the story before. I was hungover from the party the night before, and I'm sitting there with a huge headache throbbing in my head reading this letter. Back in the day, you would actually have to take a pen and paper, and you would write things on it, and then you would use this thing called a stamp, 
And you would put it, anyway, so this letter came, and it had been sent, you know, a week before uh, from Illinois to Maine, and God knew at exactly when I needed to read this letter, because I was hungover, I was in the middle of my debaucherous senior year, and my mom, who is not a mincer of words, just launches, Mark, I love you. And I don't know what you're doing, but I can imagine, as I was living apart from my family for that year. And I want you to know, here's what I believe God has for your life. And she detailed pretty much exactly how my life has turned out in the last 35 years. You're going to go to a Bible school. That made me giggle. You're going to probably become a pastor. That made me angry. Because you asked me you know, all my life, my dad was a pastor. What do you want to be when you, when you grow up, Mark? Not a pastor. That was it. I'll do anything else, just not this. But she wrote all that stuff down. It's through my headache. I'm reading this stuff. And I wish that I wish that I wished that I had kept it. Because that was God's witness to me in my life. That was my mom. Of course I'm going to listen. But he uses individuals. He uses preachers. And that's why churches are constantly looking for the next preachers who will be used as witnesses in the places where he would have them witness. 17 years ago, I was 34 years old and a youth pastor in Dallas, Texas. And some church in Florida named Baylife, uh, you know, we, we got in contact and, and through a year of kind of, you know, figuring out if this was God's will, I ended up hanging out here, which still boggles my mind. Still don't feel qualified to be doing what I'm doing right now. But it was God's will for me to be a chief witness in the work that he's accomplishing here. I'm happy to be doing it. We've seen that happen through the history of our church. Uh, Baylife has had the opportunity to, to help plant a church called The Point many years ago. Uh, relevant church in Ybor City is a, a church that's still pastored by one of our uh, staff that left here right as I got here. And, and it's just blowing and going and God's used it and Paul and, uh, and, and, and the team there is just doing a great job. If you're not aware, we're currently partnering with what used to be First Baptist Church in Mango. God gave us an opportunity to revitalize a dying church. And now we got a guy, Richard, and his uh, you know, wife, Janice, and, and they're over there with another group of people who are just witnessing to who God is. And it's how it's supposed to work. Now, my hope is, is that in the future we'd have more and more opportunities to send more and more witnesses uh, so that the, the, the gospel can move forward. That's how God does it. And so it is that today I get to share one of those opportunities that has come up. And so I'm going to ask Travis and Mickey to come up on the stage and share what God's doing in their lives. Will you give them a nice Bay Life welcome? Well, amen to everything you said. I'll fist bump that. Um, so like Mark said, uh, my name is Travis. And over the years uh, that I've served here as the teaching pastor, my wife has served as a worship arts coordinator uh, I've shared from the stage that we live in the Seminole Heights area of Tampa and have lived there for a number of years. Love that community. Uh, count many people in that community and in the city of Tampa as dear friends, uh, neighbors, and people that we care deeply for. Um, we desire to see them come to know Jesus. One of the things that we've begun to feel living in that community, and the statistics are bearing this out, is that Tampa is exploding in growth. Uh, I don't know if you've tried driving downtown during rush hour. It's a whole lot worse than it used to be. Uh, but the, the numbers are, are showing that Tampa is growing by about 35% in the next 10 years. 
And as Tampa continues to grow, the, the numbers are also bearing out that people are becoming less and less religious. Almost a third of the people who live in Tampa wouldn't consider themselves to be religious at all. Uh, and even among those who would say, yeah, I'm a religious person, only a third of them actually attend a church regularly. And for us, these aren't just numbers. These are people. These are our neighbors. These are our friends. Uh, these are the people that we meet for coffee on the weekends. And we want to be a witness in the city of Tampa. We desire to see these people come to know Jesus. And here's what we know, is that one of the best ways for the kingdom of God to go forward is through church planting. And so for a number of years, Mickey and I have had this conversation. And what would it look like to see a church planted in Tampa that can reach our friends and our neighbors? And over these last few months, we've sensed the Lord calling us to be the people who do that and to plant, plant a church in Tampa. And so we're partnering with a denomination known as the Anglican Church in North America. And over these next six, six months, our family is preparing to plant a church in the Tampa area. Um, so we recognize that that is not something that we can just do on our own. Uh, it's going to require a lot of preparation. It's going to require a lot of prayer and really the support of the rest of the body of Christ. And so we are so, so thankful for the leadership of Baylife um, and Mark and Tom and the elders for giving us this opportunity to share this with you all. First and foremost, because we consider you all family. Uh, Baylife has been our home for most of our lives. This is where we met. And um, it is such an honor and a privilege to be able to share this with you all. Uh, first and foremost, because we do consider you family and we thank all of you for walking alongside us for so many years. Uh, but secondly, we're sharing this now because it's going to require a lot of preparation. And so the next six months for us um, are going to just be filled with uh, ways that we are gonna be preparing for this church plant in the new year. Um, and so we just wanted to briefly share with you all the top three ways that you guys can join us in prayer for um, as we gear up to launch this church plant. So number one is we are going to be fundraising. Uh, we, like Travis said, are partnering with the Anglican Church of North America, but we are essentially being sent out as missionaries in our own city. So that's going to require a lot of funds for us to live uh, and for the church to flourish uh, and function. And so that's kind of the number one way that we are going to be preparing. Number two is we are looking to connect with a group of people who are going to become what's called a core team of the church, which means uh, people who are committed to the act of planting with us. That means serving in leadership, serving the church on Sundays, and just being really committed to the people in the city as well that we serve. And number three is we are looking to connect with people who are interested in just attending the church and committed to living alongside uh, the people in the city of Tampa. So maybe you're hearing this and you're going, okay, so how, how could I get involved? Well, the, the first and the easiest way for you to do that would be to go to our website. Uh, it's thelowestpa.com, very simple. The Lowe's as in us, TPA as in Tampa, dot com as in dot com. Mm. And uh, on, on our website, we've got a little bit more information about our vision and our desires uh, as a church plant and how we hope to be a witness in the city. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which is going to give you some ways that you could be praying for us. We've got an interest meeting next month, or not next month, but in September, and we'll give you more updates if you sign up for our newsletter there. Uh, as Mickey said, you know, we're raising support. So if you feel called towards that, we would love to talk with you more about that. Or if you say, you know, I live a little bit closer to Tampa or I know someone who lives close to Tampa and we would love to get connected with the church in that area, we would love to have a conversation with you and we'll be hanging out in the corner. Uh, and maybe just one more thing before I, I pass it back to you. Um, 
know that we are not ignorant of the fact that us getting this opportunity to, sh to share what God's doing in our lives with you is a tremendous gift. We are so grateful for the leadership of Baylife Church. Um, for those of you who call Baylife home, maybe this is your first time here, let me just tell you, as somebody who has worked behind the scenes on staff pretty much since I was in high school, so about 15 or 16 years, um, Mark and Tom are godly men, and they are wise leaders. Uh, your elder board at Baylife are godly, godly men. And we are so thankful to be a part of a church that cares about the kingdom of God uh, more than building its own little castle. Uh, we're grateful to be a part of a church that is interested in sending out witnesses and seeing the kingdom of God go forward in our area. Uh, and we look forward to these next six months as we prepare but continue to serve alongside our brothers and sisters on staff at Baylife. And we look forward to many years of partnering with Baylife as a church in another part of our area but committed to the same kingdom and the same gospel. That's it. Nailed it, bro. Nailed it. Okay. You said some nice things there. Thank you. That was very nice of you. Uh, but, but it's true, all right? Uh, the, 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 at least the parts of us being more concerned with the kingdom growing than uh, with just about anything else in life. And, and so uh, if you've heard Travis preach, he needs to be doing this on a regular basis. And so, uh, yeah. So it was no surprise to me as, as he and I started talking about and praying through the opportunities that might lie ahead for him that, that this, is, this was the eventuality. We're going to stand here someday and talk about this because this is what happens. God sends his witnesses out uh, to do what Travis and Mickey are going to do. So a couple of things, just a clarification. He said he's going with the Anglican Church of the, say it again. Anglican Church of North America. That's right, which is the conservative arm of the Anglican Church. If that threw some of you off being like, oh. We have the same creed, the same faith, just different names. Everybody cool with that? There's not going to be bay life on the, on, the, on, the, on the poster of this church, which I'm totally fine with, everybody. It's not about our brand moving forward. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ moving forward. Are you with me? Okay. Finally, Travis alluded to us continuing to partner. We're trying to figure out, and this is new, we're, we're, we're with you. We're like, oh, let's figure this out. Uh, we're, we're trying to figure out the ways that uh, Travis and Mickey and we can continue to partner, whether that's him continuing to serve you know, as, as a, a teacher here on our, our team, uh, you know, doing the foundations courses that he's done. There's lots of different ways that that might work out, but there will always be connection between us and them because there is connection between us and them. Are you with me? So, we, is everybody familiar with the term happy-sad? There's a lot of happy-sad in life, isn't there? Like you're super happy for someone to go, you're super sad for someone to go. But this is the story of the church. God disciples, God raises up those who will be his witnesses, and those who are of them get to be the senders for them, and we will partner with them to the glory of God. Someone say amen. All right, we're going to pray for these guys real quick. Let's pray. Hey, God, I am so excited for this news, have been since I heard it. And as uh, these, you know, uh, Travis and Mickey have shared this with the elders, and as we move forward into this process, we're now at this stage uh, where we've, you know, made this known to your body. Uh, God, for those who will be a part of this work moving forward, whether it's uh, supporting financially or going with physically or uh, serving ministerially, however it's going to work, however it's going to look in these next six months or so, uh, you know, as, as this family grows and becomes three and as, uh, you know, life moves forward, I pray that you would 
protect and provide for Travis and Mickey, for their baby, uh, for their hearts and minds as they prepare to do this work in Tampa. Would you, uh, Lord, lead us as your body, uh, however you might, through whoever you might, uh, to be a support to them. And then God, tether us in partnership for here on, forevermore, uh, uh, giving us this common joy of serving you and bringing glory to your name in this region. I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you guys. Get up for those one more time. All right. Shall I continue preaching? So the witness component. If you want to move forward in your life, uh, just as Jesus uh, brings forth his witness, John the Baptist in his defense, remember that he's sent us other witnesses to help us in our walk with him. Believe the witnesses that he sends. Believe the works of his hands. Look what it says next in John chapter 5, verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater, uh, that I have is greater than that of John. I got something that's even better than John the Baptist and what he says. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. You guys, he's like, fellas, do you see, you know, jumping Jim over there? who's been laying by this pool his whole life, just waiting for someone to, you know, drag him down to its waters so that perhaps God on that day would provide for him and and restore his legs. That's something that the Father has accomplished through me. That's something that as I am one with the Father, as I am God, the Son of God, I am able to do. My works prove my words. Jesus has done many miracles up to this point. In chapter 2, he turns water into wine, showing his, uh, his, his authority over creation and reshaping even the molecules uh, that are in existence. He, he clears the temple in the second part of chapter 2, and he shows his authority to judge. Hey, we just talked about that. He shows that he's able supernaturally to, to toss animals and humans out of a building. He heals the nobleman's son at the beginning of chapter 4. Jerry talked about that. He didn't even go and, and touch him or see him. He just says, hey, man, your son's good. Trust. And the son was healed. And then he heals his paralytic. He's already done miracle after miracle. He'll go on and he'll verify in the greatest miracle ever that he has what he says he has, that he is who he says he is. He dies and brings himself back to life. You know, we must be careful not to deny the miracles of Scripture. It's been in vogue for the last couple hundred years to just basically go to our Bibles and try to explain away everything that's happened in there. With creation, we create a, a theory of evolution. With the flood, we point to an ice age. With, with uh, you know, the resurrection, there's all kinds of ways that that could be explained away. And so our liberal theologians have done that for us and basically vacated the entire Scriptures of the mysteries and the miracles of our God. And that's not what we believe, people. Do you believe in miracles? I'm not just talking about 1980s ice hockey team. Do you believe in miracles? We have, listen, look at me. If you, some of you are like kind of slow on that. I don't know. And, that, and if that's honest, that's honest. But let me tell you, if you don't believe that God can, you're believing that God can't. 
And you're taking God from where he is to where you're putting him. And you're essentially taking yourself and leapfrogging God in the in that pantheon or in that, that, that grid. And you're saying, because I can understand things or I can explain away things of God, I guess I'm God. I'm as smart as or smarter than. You're, you're like the guy who sits in the front row of the magician show and says, I know you did it. I know how you did it. The coin's in his other hand. The bird, you know, was already in the hat. Whatever, I don't know. But what we fail to do in that is understand that that's a part of our hubris, a part of our arrogance, a part of our desire to be God and, and to displace God. John, uh, as he goes through his gospel, he, he refers to the miracles that Jesus does as the signs. I love that he calls them signs. Because all the miracles are meant to validate the message. All the miracles are meant to teach, not just amaze. And so as Jesus performs these miracles, he's always pointing those who are witnessing these miracles back to himself. In the next chapter, he's going to feed 5,000 people. He's going to say, I'm the bread of life. So everybody, you know, you're welcome for Subway, but don't forget, this is about me. He's going to walk on water. He's going to calm storms later in the story. He's going to do all these incredible things, but all of them point back to his majesty, his might, his authority. He is God. Believe in him. You know, sometimes as we're getting into this last point, uh, we can uh, see Jesus and not see Jesus. Here's what I mean. These signs, especially as it pertains to the miracles, these signs are given to, to point us in our belief to who Jesus is. But sometimes we miss the signs. Anybody been driving lately? Here's, here's this little, uh, you know, um, um, uh, frustration of mine as I drive. We now have these phones that tell you where to turn and when to turn. Isn't that great? But does anybody notice that sometimes they're slow? Or you run out of, uh, you know, a, a space where there's actually coverage. Anybody been in that situation? Well, I'm glad we got halfway because now I don't know where I am, right? And my phone no longer works. But, but historically, through the ages, the highways have been dotted with signs. Like, you can't drive down 75 without finding out that in 29 miles, you can go eat a Cracker Barrel, right? And it gives you the exit and, the, and, and all those things. I've actually been in situations where I've been driving in a neighborhood looking for something that I'm looking for. I'm looking at my phone, and if I had just had my head up, I would have seen the huge sign in front of this establishment telling me that this is it. But instead, I drive past it until my phone lag catches up to me, and then I have to double back. Listen, the miracles are so important because they're signs. And for these who Jesus is talking to, and for us who have them recorded for us in his word, we need to look at them and say, yes, this verifies beyond a doubt that this is Jesus, the Son of God, and my faith needs to be in him. The last thing is this. We need to believe his witnesses. We need to believe in his works. And we need to believe the word of God. Jesus has referenced John as his first witness, but now he's going to go to Moses, the writer of the first five books of our Bibles, the giver of the law. The Jews love Moses. He's going to say, guys, if you read Moses, you've heard about me. You know about me. But like someone who's staring at the phone instead of the signs, someone who's not seeing the forest for the trees, you're missing me. Jesus says this in verse 37, the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. 
His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You're not listening to me. You're not believing me, Jesus says. He goes on in verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. This is true. The Jews esteemed the scriptures. When the scriptures were copied, did you know how much you, know how much you could write down at once as you were copying this text to this uh, you know, papyrus or whatever scroll? You could go one letter at a time. That was the scribe rule. You guys do that when you're trying to write things down? Some of you don't even look at what you're writing. You're trying to write everything so fast. But in, in copying the scriptures, you had to go one letter at a time. The, the Jews uh, you know, esteemed the words that God had given them. Because they believed that those words, especially the laws, they were the means by which they would attain righteousness. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, I think it's a, a really dangerous thing to see something obviously, uh, but miss it. Anybody done that? I was, I was working in the, my backyard when I first got into our house. I've told this story before, but I, I rented this tractor that had a scoop on the front and a, and, a, and a blade in the back. And I was trying to just level out the dirt in my backyard. And it was going really well, except that I forgot that there was a scoop on the front, this big metal arm. And, and so every time I got close to my house, that scoop would actually hit the ridge of my roof. Now, I wasn't seeing it because I was looking backwards and trying to, it's just really tricky. These Tonka trucks are really hard to move. But I was, I was just trying to grade out my, and so I would, I would actually run into my house. I did it once. Well, that was weird. Twice. I must be hitting something under the ground. The third time I heard wood crack. And that's when I looked up and I saw, oh, way to go, Mark. <laughs> As you've been so focused on what's happening behind this machine, the front of it has been wrecking the house that you're trying to fix up. I had to call a roofer. Had to pay for the... Well, he was a great guy. I think he kind of had mercy on me, but I had to pay some. Could have paid more to fix what I had broken. Why? Because I wasn't paying attention.